Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. I know you always wonder if that's going to change and it's just not. Yeah, you're stuck with me for now. And all month long in July, we are talking to leadership powerhouses. So people who have been there, done that, and had to have gone through a lot of iterations to become the leader that they are today. And each one of my guests has a requirement to have led at least 50 people. Because let me tell you, there are incredible differences between leading one, leading 10, 50, and 500. And I think it's important that we talk to the ones who basically have suffered the most. There's at least 50 people, you know, you've had enough uh, punches to the gut to uh, make it through it. And my guest today, he's got not only a great story about building a business from scratch and leading teams like that, but also how to do it and make sure that it can run without you, which is something I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about. So Max Borges is an entrepreneur. And in 2002, he founded the Max Borges Agency, which is a tech-focused public relations firm. And believe me, when you take a look at his website, They've worked with some big industry powerhouses. And, you know, when you talk to him about really what does it mean to be a leader, you know, then he says he's studied the habits of business and strategy icons. And with that, he built his agency to be more than 50 employees and tell 10 million a year in revenue. He's also a tech investor and author of his book. Now, I'm going to use the uh, politically correct version of this, but how to be fan effing tastic. Um, now you can use your own imagination and I think you should because you know what that means. And he's also been the host of the Unconventional Genius podcast. He said he used to do a lot of podcasting when he had his podcast and uh, said he's enjoying being on this side of the microphone now. He lives in Miami Beach with his wife, three children's. And he's now, get this, apparently, little known fact, he listens to heavy metal, which uh, I won't tell you that uh, I probably don't listen to a lot of heavy metal. I do listen to a lot of country, but I think Max, we can still get along. We can find some common ground. So thank you for joining me today. <laughs> thank you, Michael. That was an amazing introduction. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. <laughs> I love it. And I can't wait to talk more about your book too, because I know that, that it's filled with a lot of great quotes and it's something that will really inspire all of us, which we all need. So I gave awesome. a couple of the highlights, but tell us a little bit more about you, your businesses, uh, you know, how you helped your clients to shock their potential, because where you are in that PR space is very unique. You do have an incredibly large company. I know there's more than 50 employees because I searched you on LinkedIn and I saw at least 64. So you've been growing, growing, growing. So tell us a little bit, uh, you know, more about the, the Max backstory. Yeah. So um, about uh, 19 years ago, I was looking for a job and couldn't get anybody <laughs> to hire me, but I did get one company to give me a freelance gig, nice. uh, which I, which I took because I was running out of money. I needed to pay the rent. And, uh, and after a few months of doing that, I realized that this freelance gig, which paid pretty good, was only mm -hmm. taking me about four hours a day and that I could get another one. So I started uh, networking and looking for another freelance gig, which I eventually got. And then I rented a small office 
And then uh, I hired some part-time help. And then I went out and looked for another client and then hired some more part-time help and then got another client and <laughs> more part-time help and made some of the part-timers full-timers and just kind of very slowly um, uh, just, just kind of stepped it up. More clients, more people. And, um, and, and most importantly, I did it without borrowing any money. You know, I did it all nice. out of cash flow. You know, my first office was a real uh, kind of a, a junky office. I mean, it was not a nice place. And, and I bought all my furniture at this uh, warehouse that sold used furniture, and it was all scraped up and dusty and dirty. And I remember, you know, outfitting my whole entire two room office for $1,000 delivered, you know, and wow. the furniture did not look great. It was not going to impress any clients. But I also wasn't going to invite any clients to my office, you know, at that point, exactly. because, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know if, if, this thing was going to work. And so yeah. I felt like I got to make money while I can. And, and so, so I did, I've made money every month now for 19 years straight without ever having to borrow a, a, a dime um, or even run any credit card debt or anything. Um, nice. And and so, so that, that's definitely something that can be done. And then, um, you know, for the first four years, we just did any kind of marketing work that we could get. I call it the AFM stage, the anything for money stage. <laughs> and, uh, but after about four years, I had about 10 employees and a million dollars a year in revenue, which at the time was great. Cause keep in mind, just a few years earlier, I was looking for, you know, a job and here right. I am running a company that's doing a million dollars in business. I was, I was pretty happy with it, but I also realized that with just those 10 employees and, and about 10 clients, I, I couldn't grow. I, I was right. stuck. It was just, it was overwhelming. It was too much work. So I had to figure out how I was going to scale the business. And what I did is I, I, I read three books. One was uh, Straight from the Gut by Jack Welch, uh, mm -hmm. Jim Collins' uh, Good to Great, and mm -hmm. The Rockefeller Habits by uh, Vern Harnish. And all yes, three books book. had a very similar message, which was figure out what you can be the best at. And right. so I went home one day and I remember sitting at the kitchen table and making a list of all of my clients that were happy and that were not requiring me to get involved, that my employees were handling without my input. And then a list of all the clients that were sucking me in, that was, you know, maybe we weren't good at it and, and, and it was requiring me to get involved because when nobody knows how to do something, it always goes to the boss, right? right. And what I realized Fortunately, the first list was about 70% of our business, and they were all consumer tech clients that we were doing media relations for, that we were doing PR for. And, and the other 30% was like everything else. And that 30% was taking like 90% of my time. And I realized if I just did consumer tech media relations, I'd have almost nothing to do. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do anything. It's that it would then free me up to grow my business. So I could work on my business and not in my business. Right. And, and so uh, I came in the to the office the next day and I said, from this point forward, we're not taking any clients that are not consumer technology and for media relations. And uh, I was nervous about it because I wasn't 100% sure that was the right decision, but I was pretty sure. Um, you turned so you out jumped it was really fast for anything for, my, for money too. Only the right ones. God, I hope there's still money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so, but that year we grew 74%. And that wow. was uh, 2007, 2008, we grew more than 50%. 2009, which was a terrible year in yeah. for, for business, we still grew 15%. 
Um, 2010, we grew 40% again. So we started, then we started picking up again after the downturn in the economy, but, um, but we just kept growing and growing and, and it got easier to run the business because Mm -hmm. now I got to do things that were, you know, more business building activities instead of business operating activities, which I didn't particularly like anyway. I liked building the business. I didn't like the day-to-day operations of the business. And so it let me focus on what I love to do and, and, uh, and not the things that, you know, I just, you know, that you have to do when you're running a business. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. And I know I've always talked to people. Um, there were a lot, there was a number of years of both in when I worked for a company and then I owned my own company at, at, for quite a while where I did consulting with medical practices. And so we'd always, you know, I'd come in and I'd teach them how to be more profitable and increase profit centers. But it was always that dialogue about, are you working on your business or in the business? And, you yeah. know, as you know, surgeons, I mostly work with surgeons, you know, and to say, okay, I understand right now your bread and butter is going to do that surgery that I get that. And nobody else can do that surgery. But if we're going to work to build these other parts of the business, I need you know, I, I can do it. I can do most of it for you, but I need you to work on the business with me at certain times, because frankly, all I need is your seal of approval. And if so, I'm moving forward and we're getting it up and we're getting it moving so that you can continue to do the business. And, you know, once we got past a couple of times where they realized they could trust it and they could see the, the outcome, they're like, okay, whatever, we'll do this. You handle that. We're glad to be done with that. <laughs> and, you know, as long as we're making more money, everything's great, but it takes, it does take concerted effort to, to move from working in your business to working on your business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially when you're really good at what that business does, Mm -hmm. then it it makes it that much harder to, to get out of it. But um, you know, that's, that's where you really have to focus on hiring great people that can do some things better than you. And Look, yes. you may not find people who can do everything better than you, but you can always find someone who can do one thing better than you. Yep. And then if you have enough of those people around you, eventually you've got somebody that can, you've got people who can do everything that you do better than you. Absolutely. Um, you know, it takes time and it takes effort, but I, I think that, you know, the most important thing you can do if you're building any kind of a professional services firm, any kind of firm where you're not selling a product, but you're selling you know, expertise is you have to commit and dedicate the time to hiring and developing great people. And, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, people are, are, you know, our biggest priority, but when you have a professional service firm, it's like your only priority, you know, because that's your, the people are your product. And, and so you've got to, you've got to have great people. I always like to say, you know, fire good employees because you don't have room for good employees. You only have room for great employees and the good employees are going to, are going to hold you back. And that may sound a little harsh, but at the same time, you're doing, you know, those good employees a favor because they deserve to work somewhere where they can be great. And if they can't be great in your organization, maybe they can be great somewhere else, but you know, you don't have, and especially in the very beginning, you don't have room for good. You've got to focus on and commit to great. Yeah, I I so agree. And it's interesting because um, I told you before we started taping that um, that we started actually a second firm because my whole team is in Kenya. And I found a lot of people that I work with and network in my circles that, um, you know, needed help to scale their businesses. But what I keep trying to remind them and remind myself of is that, you know, whether you're hiring somebody like one of my team from Kenya, or you're hiring a PR specialist, or, you know, you're hiring somebody with, you know, 10 years experience, 15 years of experience, is that you're still not 
hiring people who are going to come in and magically always know what to do and how to do it. And, you know, a great company will invest in developing those employees and making sure they have the extra skills or, you know, looking for those gaps. I mean, everybody wants somebody to come in and solve all their problems right away, but to really have somebody be a long-term solution for your business, you have to be as committed to making sure you've got the right people trained at the right level that know how to do what you need to do. Otherwise we're just still wishing. And they might be great employees, but we might be keeping them at the good level because we're not giving them that extra time and attention. Right, right. Time, attention, and I think also, um, you know, trust and and belief. I think it's really important that you believe in people's potential. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing that, you know, I, I believe that people have far greater potential than they realize. I think very few people really tap in to all of their potential. Maybe Elon Musk does, but aside from him, (laughs) there's not very many people that tap into all of their potential. And so if I can help people unlock a little bit more of their potential, it can make a really significant impact in their life. And so, you know, that's what I try to do is I try to show and demonstrate that, Hey, look, if I can do it, you know, here, you know, I, I, I didn't go to college and I never even worked in an, in an agency before. And, and now I have a, you know, an agency that does $10 million a year in business. If I can do it, imagine what you can do. You know, you're more educated yeah. than me and, and you're more experienced than I was when I started my agency. So, you know, imagine what you can do. And I, you know, I try to try to show by example and, and, and inspire people to, to really realize that, that they can do a lot more than they think they can. Yeah, I agree. And I want to talk a little bit about your book. I know we'll talk about it, you know, after we take a quick break too, but, you know, I know you're working on another book as well, but, you know, you, you wrote this book, you know, how to be, how to be, uh, oh gosh. Fan fantastic. Fantastic. I was going to say freaking, but that's not, you know, whatever. Fan fantastic. What, what made you do this? What made you do it in the format that you did it? Because it's very fun. And, you know, what has it meant for you to kind of take this journey now of some of the lessons you've learned and actually put it in a book to share with the rest of the world? Yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, one night I was uh, sitting on the sofa and I just started, you know, writing, typing into my, you know, into the notes app of my phone, different quotes that, you know, I had used or, you know, things that were principles or ideas or concepts that I could put into, you know, some, you know, kind of fun one-liners, a lot of F-bombs in there. Uh, But, uh, but, and, and, and so when I had a few of them, I thought, oh, this might make an interesting quote book. And I put together, you know, like just a word document um, mock-up of what it would look like and shared it with a few friends and got some really good feedback. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just keep working on this. So I spent a couple of years just collecting all these quotes as I was going through my work day and, things were, were coming up and situations were coming up, I'd go, oh, that's a quote for the book. So I, I just kept them all until I had about 120 of them and uh, put them into a book. And so far, uh, you know, the response has been great. People, people really enjoy the book and, and are inspired by, by some of the, the things I've shared in it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I never realized that I had things that were my quotes until, uh, you know, at one point, some of my employees started quoting me back to myself. Right. And- <laughs> And the first one was a really, really tough one. Cause I was, I had a, someone who worked for me and we, I called her up and I said, Hey, I just need to make sure you schedule some time on your calendar. I want to have a call with you tomorrow. Um, you know, and I just gave her a heads up and she, she calls me right back and she said, I have a question for you. I said, yeah, what, what's the question? She said, um, 
is this going to be a difficult conversation? And I said, why do you ask? And she said, because you tend to say that when you're going to deliver news that we don't want to hear, or that's, you know, like maybe I need to be, you know, there's something you're going to work on with me that I need to fix. And I started laughing. I go, yep, it's going to be a difficult conversation. (laughs) I said, do I really say that? She goes, oh yeah, we all know that, you know, if Michael says, Hey, uh, put this time aside on your calendar and it's going to be a difficult conversation. We're all like, okay, whatever it is. But they also knew that I didn't have, I also would always say, I don't spend time with people who aren't worth my time. So if I'm having a difficult conversation with you, it's because I want you to move to the next level. I need you to move to the next level. I'm going to help you to understand this, but I'm not going to do that. If I, you know, if I'm going to give up on you, you're not going to have a difficult conversation with me because it's not worth my energy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great quote right there. Don't don't spend time with people that are not worth your time. That's awesome. Exactly. You know, we, as leaders, we have too many things. So share, are there a couple of good quotes that you have before we uh, take a quick break? Yeah, sure. Um, One of them is it's never too late to do something great. And, uh, you know, I I started my business when I was uh, 34 years old. Um, uh, You know, a lot of people, they they think that they have to start a business when they're 18 or 19 or 20 years old, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or like the Google guys or, you know, any of these like super rich and successful and famous entrepreneurs. But the truth is, those are the ones that get a lot of the news. But most people who start businesses, start the businesses um, later in life after they've gotten more experience, after they've gotten more work experience. And uh, I mean, I think it requires a lot of luck to be able to have a successful business that you start when you're 20 years old. Um, oh, yeah. It's like having a successful marriage when you're a teenager, you know, they, they're, they're not going to last. You know, you're or when you're 20 years old, right? So, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but uh, if, if, if you get that experience, then, you know, and in, in, you're, you're, you're going to be in a much better place. And as I like to say, you know, you, you're, you're, you've never been as smart as you are today, right? So you've never been as qualified yeah. to start a new business as you are today or to do something great as you are today. And so, you know, the, the, the time is, you know, don't look back and go, oh, I wish I would have done this earlier. You know, there's so many people like, you know, Colonel Sanders who started Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was 70 years old, yeah. you know, or Vera Wang who got a very late start or yeah. Samuel Jackson who got a very late start as an actor um, or Ray Kroc who, uh, you know, started McDonald's when he was 52 mm-hmm. years old. I mean, there's so many different stories of these people who become fantastically successful later in life. And I think that if they had tried and they probably did try when they were younger, but they just weren't ready yet. And, and right. I wasn't ready when I was 25 years old. I was ready when I was 34 years old. And that was, yeah. you know, that turned out to be the time when I was finally ready. So, you know, I think that's my message to people is, uh, is, is you know, it's, it's, it's not too late. Yeah, it's so true, you know, because now I own a, you know, a global consulting and training firm, but I started my first one when I was 27. I just didn't know enough. I, I didn't have enough of the world. I was a great leader. I was a great trainer, but I wasn't a good business person at that stage. So when I, you know, did it in my mid forties instead, then I was like, oh, Hey, you know, that would have been great. I could have been a, you know, a Tony Robbins at, but uh, you know, it is what it is now. And I'm fine with that. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Max, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion. 
but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Max Borges. And I told him before that, you know, I asked him how to make sure I pronounce his last name right, because I wanted to have a, you know, a French or a Spanish uh, pronunciation in Bourget. And he's like, no, it's Borges. So I called him Gorgeous Borges. So there you go. So Max, uh, we dove a little bit into your book with a couple of quotes, but you know, the focus this month is making sure leaders today, whether they're entrepreneurs, uh, they're starting out, maybe they're a leader within a, a company, that they can be better leaders today and tomorrow and adapt. And I think that we're all going to have to be a lot more flexible even now than we ever were before. So what, what's some of your advice for, for leaders today? And you can quote your book or just quote yourself, but just I'm going to throw it open for discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the quotes I have in my book is life is an open book test. And, mm. um, you know, when we go to school, we are taught to learn and memorize things in preparation for this big test. And when the test comes, it's whatever's in your brain is what you get yeah. to use. And that's it. You don't get to Google. You don't get to ask a friend. You don't get to read a book. You don't, you don't get to do any of those things. But that's not reality. That's not real life. In real life, life is an open book test. It's we're always being tested, but we always have these resources that we can tap into in real time, on the fly, whenever we want to. And it's very important that we read all the time with a purpose, that mm -hmm. we think about what is something that I need to learn about that's going to help my career. Maybe it's sales, maybe it's HR, maybe it's finance, and, and read some books and learn about those topics. It's also important that we surround ourselves with what I like to call my mastermind alliance, and that is mm -hmm. people who are experts in various different fields, my mentors, who I can turn to for whatever kind of advice that I need. And it's not just one person who knows everything. It's a lot of different people that are expertise, that have expertise in different areas. And between my Mastermind Alliance, a lot of great books that I read and continue to read, I still read two or three books a month, um, and, and Google, you know, there's nothing I can't do. You know, I mean, I built a business without any PR experience, without any agency experience and without a college education, because <laughs> I knew where to find the answers to how go. I was going to do this. And so my message to everyone is, you know, know that it's not about what you know, it's about what you can figure out mm -hmm. quickly. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's not rocket science. You know, most things that you're going to want to do you can figure out. And even rocket science, you can figure out. Look at Elon Musk. He didn't go to school exactly. to be a, a rocket scientist. He read a bunch of books and asked a bunch of experts about rockets, right. learned how about rockets and started a rocket company. And now he has SpaceX. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, even rocket science isn't rocket science anymore. <laughs> that's so profound. Now, do you have that quote? That's a good one. Even that's actually, that's in there. <laughs> And it's so true. You're right. And when we have so much at our fingertips and yet we still think we have to know things instinctively. And I, um, I thought it was great. I was interviewing somebody else for, uh, the July series here. And, um, he said, you know, whenever I get a call from somebody who asks me to come 
do a team building exercise. I say, what's the problem? And they're like, well, what do you mean? We just want a team building exercise. He goes, nobody calls and asks for a team building exercise just because you're calling for this because you have a problem. Right. Let's figure out what the problem is before we try and pick a fancy team building exercise that we don't know will solve the problem. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's a great realization because sometimes people know that there's something wrong in their businesses or with their team or with an individual team member, but we make a lot of assumptions instead of just researching, investigating, asking questions, using what we have at hand rather than trying to figure out if we're smart enough to come up with it all on our own. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's the key. (laughs) I love it. Love to have one more. I'd like to have one more of your quotes. Okay. Uh, Let me see. Um, you know, one of my favorite ones is don't follow rules that don't exist. Um, we make up so many rules for ourselves. And, you know, we're, we spend our entire lives being taught to follow rules. From the time you're in kindergarten, you're taught to, you know, raise your hand before you speak and, you know, ask for permission to go to the bathroom, whatever it is. And, and as you get older, you get so used to following rules that you start looking for rules. You know, if your friend asks you to go to a party, you say, well, what should I wear? You know, you want to know what the rules are for that social uh, uh, event and, and you, you fit in. And, and so there's so many things that we do because we think it's a rule but it's not really a rule. And so we limit ourselves from great success by not, but by, by making up these, these rules. It's like the the story of the, of the baby elephant that gets tied to the pole. And then it grows to be an adult elephant that could easily pull that pole right out of the water, out of the ground and, and walk away if it wanted to but it doesn't even think to do that because it's so used to being tied to the pole and not being able to leave that it doesn't realize that it can leave. And that's what we right. do in our lives all the time. We, we, we limit ourselves by these rules that don't exist. So the message mm-hmm. there is, you know, ask yourself, is this really a rule? Do I really have to follow this? Am I really not allowed to do, you know, X or Y? Uh, mm-hmm. Because a lot of times the limits that we have they're self-inflicted. You know, we put uh, them on ourselves. Absolutely. We're, we're our worst enemy. <laughs> Nobody's limiting us. Nobody is limiting our success, only ourselves. I agree. And it's funny you say that because as you were talking about the elephant, I was thinking about how many times people have said to me, women have said to me mostly, I love your hair. I could never do that. And so <laughs> right. my first question is, Why? Why couldn't you do it? And so as I kind of pull it out with them, I'm saying, look, because I'll say, well, just go to CVS. You can get the stuff and spray it right in and have fun. But I don't think that's really what you're asking or what you're saying, because yes, of course you can do this. Why do you feel you can't? And it's a lot of times because of rules. Oh, that wouldn't work in my environment. I wouldn't do that. You know, that, that wouldn't go over well. So, you know, I have fun like asking questions first, like, is it in the employee manual? You know, I said, I worked in 10 years in hearing aids. I had some pretty colorful hair, you know, I said, but the, but I always say, this is not about me convincing you to dye your hair blue. This is me asking you to really question why you say you can't do it. And is it really that you love my haircut or in my hair color, or do you just wish you could be more free? You know, are you looking to express yourself differently? Do you think you won't be taken seriously? Because 
people are surprised by my hair, but after they've met me five minutes, if I'm up on stage talking about leadership, they've certainly forgotten about my haircut in color a few steps in. They just know that I have something that speaks to them. So it's about getting yourself past whatever that is. I could never do that and understand what you want to do and figure out a way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's a perfect example because, you know, we just met on this call early and yes, your hair was the one thing that caught my attention. I was like, wow, what's this person going to be all about? Uh, but it only took about a minute for me to realize how incredibly intelligent you are and, oh, you. and, and, and what a great person you are. And I've completely forgotten about your hair until you just brought it back up again, but exactly. I will, I will never forget you because exactly. like, it's so, it's so memorable and, and such a positive thing. But, you know, one of the things that I also say in my book is that, you know, people are not afraid of failure. They're afraid of humiliation. They're afraid that people uh, will laugh at them. And yes. so they're, they're afraid that, that, that of what people will say. So it's not really yeah. failure as much as it is people's opinions that people are afraid of. And so I do think that it is important that we do things that, that, that challenge us, you know, like dyeing your hair blue, just mm -hmm. to, to, to strengthen that muscle of going, I'm, I'm going to be fearless and I'm not going to care what people say. And every once in a while, you'll do something that, you know, most people would think if they dye their hair blue, that, that people are going to laugh at them. Well, I'm willing to bet that you and your blue and purple hair probably gets you so much positive attention that it's completely the opposite of what most people think would be yeah. the, the response to it. But if you don't try these things, you'll never know. And so, yeah. so you've got it. You got to be willing to take a risk and you got to be willing to humiliate yourself. And 99% of the time, you're not going to humiliate yourself. Right. Even though you right. think you are, but you won't. And you're probably <laughs> going to inspire somebody else. And I never even yes. thought of the, the concept when, until you said it, like somebody goes, Hey, we're having a party. You want to come over and you're like, yeah, what should I wear? You're right. Because we want to fit in instead of we're having a party. Excellent. I'll be there, you know, and not worrying about how you have to show up to feel comfortable, but to show up because you, you can show up as you. Right. Just, just be you. You know, yeah. just like you should wear whatever you, whatever represents who you are. You're not, exactly. you know, are you, are you, you want to dress like everybody at the party? Well, then you're not being yourself. You're not being true to yourself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting too, because I just, uh, there wasn't a whole lot made of it, but um, I know a few weeks ago, Disney, the Disney corporation. So Disneyland, Disney world just announced that they're no longer having dress code restrictions that require you to cover tattoos or piercings, or uh, you can wear gender neutral clothing if you want. Um, and I thought, you know, that's a really great statement from, you know, the Disney corporation to say, we're no longer going to require our team members, you know, out in front of the public eye to be, you know, gender specific. These are the rules, you know, they're letting people be more of themselves, which I think is is really incredible. That's a powerful, powerful message to send to the world that we like you for who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's yeah. great. I, I had not heard that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Max, we could talk forever. Um, absolutely. And I, <laughs> we've already gone way past our time. Who cares? We've been having fun. Hey, I know we're going to have all of your contact information, including links to your book on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now and you can feel free to show a picture of your book uh, for those watching the video too, but uh, make sure to tell us how we can best find you. 
best way to find me is to go to maxborgesagency.com. Uh, that's a website for, for my company, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and my book, you can find on Amazon. If you search for Max Borges author, for some reason, Amazon does not like the title of my book, but, but, uh, but they, but they'll, they'll, it'll come up if you put in my name. Exactly. They'll still find it and sell it for you. (laughs) I love it. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Um, you know, I think my, my, final message would be to, you know, figure out what you can be the best at. Um, when you can figure out what, what, what you can be the best at, what you love um, and, and what there's a market for, that's really going to be your sweet spot. So if you think of like three concentric circles with what you love, what there's uh, a market for and what, you're, what, you, what you can be the best at, then uh, I think that's where your sweet spot is. And I think a lot of people get two of the three things right, but they don't get all three right. And the difference between getting all three of those right and getting only two of them right is monumental. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. Amen. I agree so much. Max, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your stories with us, and absolutely your quotes. It has been absolutely fantastic having you as a guest today. Pleasure has been mine. You're an amazing host, Michael. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.